again and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 358. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 358. Today, we take a deep, relaxing breath from all the intensity of the past few months as I invite you to visit Wright Field Farm, where Slow Flowers members David and Lina Brunton welcomed me a few weeks ago. They are loyal Slow Flowers podcast listeners, and I'm excited that I recently had a chance to see their farm in person, spend a day meeting their incredible family, and experiencing their flowers. Wrightfield Farm is based in Millersville, Maryland, not too far from Annapolis, where it is tucked into a forest near the Severn River by the Chesapeake Bay. The land had been used as a baseball field until 2002, but the facilities were in disrepair by the time David and Lina bought it in 2009. The house sits in what used to be Wright Field, hence the name Wright Field Farm. David and Lina grow a mix of annual and perennial flowers with an eye toward all the natural beauty that Maryland has to offer. Instead of pesticides and chemical fertilizers, they rely on their farm's natural defenses. Their milk cow and her calf, Melody and Birdie, make plenty of excellent fertilizer. The honeybees are busy pollinating flowers and making honey to eat. Cover crops help beds overwinter, gain soil fertility, and decrease runoff into the waterways. And while the Bruntons do a lot of bug squishing, their chickens do their part too, along with natural predators attracted to the property. The end result, fresh, beautiful flowers, totally free from the harsh chemicals that come on most bouquets. A couple years ago, David emailed me out of the blue to introduce himself. He wrote, Hi, Deborah. From your social media feeds, it looks like maybe you're in D.C. My wife and I are new farmers growing flowers in Maryland, and we love everything you do. At my off-farm job, I work at the Library of Congress, and I'd be delighted to host you for a short tour one day on this or a subsequent visit, if you ever have interest in time. All the best, David Brunton. As it turned out, I did have time to meet David, and he treated me to a fascinating behind-the-scenes tour of the Library of Congress. What a very special opportunity. And I promised to get outside the Beltway and visit Wrightfield Farm on a future trip. It took me more than two years, but last month we made it happen. David drove into D.C. to pick me up a few days after the Slow Flowers Summit, but before I was scheduled to present at the American Institute of Floral Designers Annual Symposium. 
Wrightfield Farm generously donated buckets and buckets of flowers to help decorate the stage where I spoke about Slow Flowers on July 3rd. What better than to talk about local and seasonal flowers and floral design than to have fresh, beautiful, just-picked flowers on display as my illustration of the differences between local and faraway blooms. Fellow Slow Flowers member Ellen Seagraves of Chic Floral Design graciously lent her creative talents to arrange those Maryland-grown flowers. My remarks had more credibility because I had just visited Wrightfield Farm and felt like I could speak with authority about the sustainable and earth-friendly practices that David and Lina use in their fields. Back to my visit. After lunch with the entire Brunton family, David and I sat at the kitchen table and recorded today's interview. He is a true student of the Slow Flowers podcast. He arrived at the interview complete with notes on the topics and thoughts he wanted to share. I am in possession of those notes and you can download them as a PDF written as a perfect outline by David. The document covers the Maryland Cut Flower Growers Association for which David serves as treasurer, the Wrightfield Farm story and its community, vendors, behind the scenes help, education and farming processes, and more words of wisdom. You'll enjoy reading this bonus content, which you can find at deborahprincing.com for episode 358. You'll also see photos of Wrightfield Farm, its flowers, and the Brenton family. I know you'll enjoy my day on the farm through the images and conversation with David. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am delighted today to tell you that I am in Maryland at Wright Field Farm with my guest, David Brunton. Hi, David. Hi, Deborah. It's so great to have you here. I'm so glad you could come. Yeah, we've, we've been thinking about this for a while, and I, I had a wonderful time meeting your part, your whole family, but your partner in crime, Lina, and your four wonderful children, and uh, we'll talk about them a little bit because this is truly a family farm. Yeah, it is. So thank you for welcoming me. We've been thinking about this for a while. We have. I think it's been two years, yeah, right? two or three years when yeah, we met. How did right. we meet? You just reached out to me and, and introduced yourself, right? I did. You were coming to D.C., and I, in my off-farm guise, am at the Library of Congress, and I asked you if you wanted to come for a tour. Oh, my gosh. That was so moving. Was I loved it. Such you, a neat place. You know all the back hallways of that place. I do. I call it the dirty underbelly. <laughs> well, okay, so tell everybody about Wrightfield Farm. Okay, they know now that you work for the Library of Congress, but you have many hats, like many flower farmers do, right? right? So um, give us a snapshot of your farm and what it is today, and then we'll, we'll talk about how you got there. So the day after tomorrow is the nine-year anniversary of uh, moving to the farm. Um, That's but exciting. This is, but this is our fourth season uh, growing and selling flowers. Okay, um, and... Where is Wrightfield Farm? So Wrightfield Farm is in Millersville, Maryland, okay. which is right at the top of the Severn River that runs into the Chesapeake Bay. So actually down that ravine behind right the there, chickens. behind the chickens, okay. down the hill, is the, a creek that actually runs into the Chesapeake Bay. Oh yeah, so. we'll take us. Uh, we'll get a map shot so it's people perfect. can see where you are. Perfect. Um, and you were, I was fascinated when we were talking earlier um, about the three major markets that you're kind of in the middle of this vortex. So describe that. Yeah. So we're 45 minutes from D.C. where I picked you up yeah. this morning. And we're half an hour from Baltimore, okay. which is to the, to the north of us. And then we're only about 15 minutes from Annapolis, which is the capital of Maryland. And there's and a lot of activity over there, too. A lot of activity yeah. over there, too. So the population is enormous. It's enormous. There's like 6 million people in the metropolitan area. 
And, they, and hopefully they all will buy local flowers from you someday. In <laughs> fact, when we started looking for a farm, one of the things that we had to think about, I was reading a book called You Can Farm. <laughs> um, and I, uh, it, one of the things that the, the, the author of the book, who's a, a, essentially a chicken farmer in Stanton, Virginia, um, was saying is that you should buy a farm close to customers mm-hmm. more than you buy a farm with lots of land. Mm. Find, be, get near customers. Mm. And so we tried to do that and mm. got really lucky. Um, I'm just going to go back to something you said when we were driving out here in the car, which was uh, you had a lot of criteria for what you were mm-hmm. shopping. Because you both worked on, in Washington, D.C., kind of in you know, Capitol Hill types of jobs. That's right. And um, this this farm notion took hold of your imagination. That's right. But it wasn't, uh, you, it wasn't, we want to be flower farmers. No. So describe, describe that kind of sna- uh, crazy narrative. Well, it started with Lina sending me an email with a picture. I think it was a lavender farm. And we should do this. Ha, ha, ha. And <laughs> she was obviously a little desk bound at the time, right? She was a little desk bound. And it was, uh, you know, it, so we started at that time, we started just looking basically everywhere within two hours of Washington, D.C., all the way west to Rappahannock County, all the way north, um, all the way up to Pennsylvania, actually, wow. yeah, over on the eastern shore. And we started looking at farms just to kind of see what was possible, what was... Yeah, and historically, there's a lot of agriculture in Maryland. So yeah. were there more farms than you, you would expect? or There were... Um, so once upon a time, to, tobacco mm. was a mm-hmm. big crop. Sure. Yeah, in fact, this... That, this before it was a baseball field, right? This would have been tobacco wow. country. Wow! Um, and there are still quite a few, as you saw when we were driving out mm-hmm. here. It it really is there. There's quite a quite a bit of farmland left. Yeah, it's pastoral. Yeah. What I would say is that there are fewer um, sort of specialty crop mm. farms. Mm-hmm. There are. There tend to be. They kind of tend to be split between. Hobby farms, mm-hmm. people who have horses mm-hmm. and and sort of live a farm lifestyle, and then people who generally custom farm their land, so they'll hire someone to come in and grow oh. soybeans or corn. Oh, so sort of like a leased situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you are redefining yeah. what, what farming is like in this area. Well, I would say we're part of a a pretty substantial cohort yeah. who are redefining yeah. what yeah, farming is like in this area. Yeah. So you, you had all this criteria and um, you, you, it sounds like you hit almost everything when you found this property. It really was amazing when the, when the property first came up for sale, we didn't really look at it, but the first time that we came, when I got out of the car, you have yeah. now experienced getting yeah. out of the car. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. And it, it was really, uh, we really knew. I bet we'd looked at a hundred farms. Wow! By the wow. time we came to this one, it's the first time we put an offer in, mm-hmm. um, and we we ratified the contract nine years ago on the fourth of July, mm. and then moved in in October. Okay. Of of um, two thousand. Nine. Yeah, that's awesome. How exciting. Did you call it Wrightfield Farm right away? Because you alluded a little bit to that, the we name. Did. We did. So the, 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 the pasture in the front where the cows are and the goats, it was a baseball field. Uh-huh. And there were dugouts and there was a snack bar and there was... Also, like people would come watch games here. Yeah, it was a really neat 
thing that was part of a network of semi-professional fields, mostly African-American in Southern Maryland. That like did, a league or something. It was a league. Yeah, very yeah. cool. And they would do, they would do Sunday baseball games. Hmm. And in fact, the evidence of their enjoyment of baseball in the form of beer bottles in the ravine <laughs> was, was really, has been one of our, um, treasures, of our opportunities here. <laughs> um, funny. so the house is in right field. Home plate was just oh okay. straight. The, the house is in right field, but right field also sort of alludes to um, that's the place where they put baseball players in Little League who are distractible and interested in things other than baseball. Oh. And so I was a right fielder okay. as, a, as, a, as a kid. I, w- okay. I was the... Uh, You're revealing a lot about yourself. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So in other words, you were like looking at something other than the, the action on the, that's on right. the field? Okay. That's right. So Lina and I actually both played right field. Oh, and we were, we were both out there like picking buttercups and yeah. counting, counting the petals. Looking for four-leaf clover. That's right. That's right. But also I like the... It's the right field. It's yeah. the best place for you to be. Exactly. So there's a lot of meaning in yeah. this name. Yeah. Very cool. And even I'm just seeing it on. Uh, it says established 2014 because even you'd been living here, but that's when the farm that's right. took its current. That's right, profile. and that's actually when the farm. So 2014 was the year that we um, filed Schedule F mm-hmm. with the IRS. Mm-hmm. The year that we incorporated the farm. Mm-hmm. Wow! Um, Is that the first year you planted flowers? So we planted flowers in 2014, okay. but we. I, I think we sold something like $400 worth of flowers mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. in, in, in 2004. It wasn't a full season. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We planted our very first perennials that year as well, um, our very f- perennial flowers. Mm-hmm. There were a few other... So um, this is some of those are are four years old now, right? Yeah. What are the, the what are they? The, the peonies? peonies. Yeah. You said I you love had a, the peonies. Yeah. You have a lovely little row there. You're going to add yeah. more. So we've got four rows of peonies. We have um, Charlie's White's. Sarah Bernhardt's Victoire de la Marne, mm, which is an interesting, it's a fun to say, and it's actually the 100th anniversary this year of the Victoire de la Marne. Oh, neat. What color is, is a, it? It's a deep burgundy. Oh. They call it a red, okay. but it really it looks purpley to me. Yeah. But it was a turning point in World War I, hmm. the Battle of the Marne. Wow. And the victory of the Marne is sort how of named we, after that. Yeah, and this how, is the, how appropriate. And then we have a row of early blooming coral <clears throat> etched salmon I think and coral charm um, so those you planted in like 14, 15 that's right um, give us a snapshot now of what your crop mix is and I know you have said you, it was 13 acres about how much is planted just so people can picture yeah it. so we've got about an acre and a half of flowers planted right now and that's growing every year the mix started out our very first year it was the flowers that we sold are all annuals mm-hmm. but over time our goal has been to move from annuals into perennials um, smart and to, to just add as many new perennials as we can one thing is that perennials take longer to get to first bloom and when we initially plant them we might not know if they're going to work here so you kind of cut. have a dual tr- strategy then you're, you're planting the perennials for like the future but That's in the, right. but selling what do you want to sell now? You're growing annuals. So. Yeah. And yeah. so we grow right now about 225 varieties of flowers, mm-hmm. which are about a 50-50 mix of perennials and, and annuals. Um, oh, so it's really helpful to see. So you'll, you, yeah. that percentage will change. Then. Yeah. 
Um, right, it started out at zero. Yeah. Well, we went up, we went for a walk, and, and it is kind of hot and humid, but I'm so glad we did it. We, I loved following you around and just hearing about your favorites. And, well, it's a snapshot of this moment in time. Yeah. What is yeah. blooming at Wrightfield Farm on July 2nd, basically. Yeah. So we caught lots of zinnias, yarrow, snapdragons, uh, a tuberose. Yeah, our first one. Yes, uh, your first cosmos. First cosmos. Right. Um, some amazing greenery, some of which you told me stories about that right. I knew nothing about. What right. was the one right. that is running so- Running cedar, okay. which used to be a foraged greenery in the floral industry here, but isn't really used anymore. But it, you inherited it. We inherited it, that's right. Yeah, and what about the myrtle, the wax myrtle? The wax myrtle or bayberry. Okay. It's a native, um, and that's been a favorite... That is, That's stunning. Yeah, it's a stunning, and it, the the fragrance is amazing. Yeah, still have it in my hands. I and the it. and the stem, the other thing, because it's a woody stem, you can build a build a bouquet around it. Oh, in a way. make a little matrix and yeah, wow, yeah, it really does. I'm the, looking at the bouquet trying to see what else we had in there. Um, we, we we picked some nine bark, I think. That's right, and we did asclepias. We got some asclepias, right? Yep. There's um, some groovy stuff in there. Gold, uh, oh, Solidago. But Monarda uh-huh. and Solidago Rugosa fri- Fireworks, but just the foliage. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was just, I mean, is that a bouquet, that a mixed bouquet that would be comparable to what you'd sell at the grocery store? That's um, more comparable to what we would do on a Sunday delivery. Okay. So, so tell me about your channels of, of yeah. sales, because this will be a good segue. Yeah. So our, cha- our sales channels, uh, we have three sales channels. Um, one is essentially inside sales of weddings. Mm-hmm. So the weddings, um, that's all people who call us and sort of talk to us. Um, we get a lot of referral business from that. And then the second is selling to grocery stores and sort of retail outlets, which increasingly is the place where most people buy their flowers. Yes, exactly. So you, you, right. you're smart, even though it's maybe a different economic Yeah. Model. Though I have to say David's Natural Market and Gambrel's have become such friends there, and it's a it's a rising tide for them and for us. It's a, we, you know, our sticker goes on every mixed bunch that goes mm-hmm. in the, goes there. Mm-hmm. And the other nice thing is that as opposed to selling at a farmer's market, where at the end of the day, the flowers have been out in the hot, they're in a nice, cool And store. the farmer's hot. <laughs> and the farmer's hot and the farmer's hot. Um, and they, and they last very well. Yeah. You You're know, I think saying that you, you deliver once or twice a week because sometimes right. they'll sell out. That's right. Yeah, that's neat. That's right. And having the relationship we have with them, um, I think I was telling you earlier that, you know, if we have extra, this, this, we were swimming in peonies this year and we tucked a couple into the, and that was one of the, one of the weeks that they sold out in one day. Oh yeah. Right? Those they, customers were probably freaking out. Yeah. And wow. they called us and said, Hey, do you have any more? We're like, Sure. That's neat. Yeah. And then the third channel is the Sunday bouquets. I'm so fascinated yeah. by this. Describe what you're doing this year because so it's very I, innovative. Yeah. So we started out last year doing it sort of like a CSA where we had particular days that we delivered. But the more we thought about it, the more we thought there there were people who wanted to do it who maybe didn't know when they were going to be home mm-hmm. or didn't necessarily want to make the long-term commitment. Um, so oh, like a 10-week commitment or yeah. something. Yeah. And so it's sort of a... Yeah. The the way that has evolved is sort of as weeklies mm-hmm. for um, and we sell them. It's a it's a hand tied bouquet though we don't we we put a rubber band rather sure. than a because that way it's deliverable. It's deliverable and also the the flowers that that don't last for two weeks. You know there are a lot of flowers in there that will last for two weeks, but you can take take things out right. as they as they get done. Right. But in other words, so. you're not putting a ribbon on it or anything. We're not. Yeah. Right. It goes in a mason jar okay. and. It gets a 
uh, round tag. We got to keep our branding. Yes, on the right. Front and center. Farm sticker. Yeah, yeah, or tag. Yeah. Yeah. And we do deliveries in this area in Crofton, Millersville, Gambrel, Severna Park, um, Arnold. But people order online. That's, That's right. sort of the new thing. That's right. right. So That's right. is it only one? Is it only one? price point? Or, yeah. Okay, so how does that work? So it's $40, okay. and the $40 is inclusive of delivery, and it's okay. just around here, and uh, it's essentially what's blooming mm-hmm. at the time. We try to keep at least 10 or 12 flowers, and sometimes more, blooming at any given time. Uh, so people are getting a variety. Yeah, 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 and it's very seasonal. Yeah. You know, we don't have peonies this time of year, right. but we do have... You saw that we have our roses are yeah. sort of like reaching the tail end of those yeah. now, and the and dahlias. Have dahlias are, soon. That's yeah. right. So there's some focal flower almost yeah. every every yeah. bunch or every week. Yeah. And then when you say around here, roughly, what's that delivery uh, zone? It's like within 15 or so okay. miles around the farm. Okay. Um, I imagine that that's one of the areas where we'll just keep expanding, mm. and mm-hmm. that that as the um, you know, we have uh, we feel really grateful to the people around here, and in fact, some of our best customers are people that we've been their customers and mm. a different guys. Mm. Um, Gambrel's General Store mm-hmm. is where we where we get a lot of our farm supplies, mm-hmm. and they are like reliable customers. They want a bouquet every week. They want a bouquet every week. Yeah. So the orders come in by Saturday night, and then you make them and deliver them the Sunday morning. Is that we it? actually make them on Saturday, okay. but we always make a couple of extras. Okay. Okay. Um, which the worst case scenario of the extra ones is that we have a bouquet of flowers at in home. the house. <laughs> so you were out delivering yesterday morning. That's right. Okay, cool. That's right. That is really neat. Yeah. It's it seems like you've you've taken the purpose of a CSA but made it work for you. Yeah. And trained your customers yeah. that this is how we're going to do it, but then you're not. You're if you go on vacation, you take a week off. Yeah. And the other neat thing is it is a there it doesn't require the a person to because it doesn't require an upfront commitment, it's been a channel for new customers for mm, us. Mm, so yes. we, you know, we'll occasionally have somebody who finds us who's just found us on Google and is right. having a party. Or, or Instagram, maybe. Yeah. 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 What hashtags do you use on Instagram? Marilyn Grown? Marilyn Grown Flowers. Okay. Uh, right Field Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Farmer Florist. Yeah. Right. And Slow Flowers. <laughs> and well, Slow Flowers. I always see yes. you do that. Yes, yes, so yes. so cool. Um, but... That's probably not the one that people are going to be searching for if they're local customers. So that's, that's right. That's nice to have the other ones. That's yeah. right. And I, in fact, I think lots of times with the local customers, it'll be sort of more of a. Oh, <laughs> more. You're of making a, a zigzag yeah, gesture. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, yeah, they It's a. They'll find somebody who is a florist, or they'll find somebody who has posted their own flowers. You know, maybe mm-hmm. somebody will post our flowers on Facebook. And then tag you. And tag us. Yeah, and then people will be curious about it. Right. Well, where did this... um, Okay, your background is in, like, technology and data, right? Right. What do you do at the Library of Congress? So I'm the chief of repository development, and it would be worth saying at this point that... uh, probably goes without saying, but I'm not speaking for the Library of Congress yes, about I, the matter of flowers. Okay, okay, <laughs> yes, we are going to be completely right, right, right. legal here. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm sure that they would love you to be their flower it, spokesman if they needed one. You know, if, if they ever do need one, I'm going to put in for that job. <laughs> That's a... But I'm just curious, like, you're, you're more of an analytical data, or, I don't know, your brain is much more process-oriented, or... You know, I don't, I don't know. Mm. I, because how do you, I want to know how you became a flower designer or floral yeah. designer. 
Yeah, I, I will say that my inspiration for flower design mm-hmm. is very much flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we started growing flowers, it really, it, it was inspiring to me. You didn't know you wanted to go this path as no, a farmer florist? No, okay. no. And, and in fact, um, our, our first year, I just took a floral design class. I took, <laughs> I took an Ikebana mm. class, which you've, you've now... You've now met me. And, yes. And you're, you're yes. Don't you have to be kind of quiet and like it, focused? So, so what I will say, what I will say is I have not incorporated any of the aesthetic of Ikebana. Right. But I have incorporated the practice. Yeah, the discipline. Yeah. And the quiet and the... Hmm contemplation of what this flower wants to say mm-hmm. in a given context. Is yeah, really a, that's so relatable because yeah. you're responding to the flower, which is kind yeah. of how you started designing. Yeah. Huh. So when you discovered that you liked this, is it so funny because, you know, men aren't supposed to be, or straight men aren't supposed to be designers. Right, like, right, right. You are, right. when you took these community college classes, were you often the only guy in the class? Always. And they <laughs> always, all of the teachers always said, ladies, I mean... <laughs> Uh, and I said, no, it's okay. I respond to ladies in the, in the, in the gender neutral sense of that word. It's <laughs> great. Um, it has been always the case in the floral design classes. Um, but it's a nice counterpoint to software development mm-hmm. where it's really quite, the opposite. quite on the other end of the spectrum. Right, right. And uh, really to its detriment. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I, I think the... Um, being in a female-dominated profession has been uh, very refreshing mm-hmm. for somebody who has spent 20 years as an engineering manager. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a you know it's a it's a different kind of um, feeling to it, and I like mm-hmm. it better. Mm-hmm. Don't Plus, tell my software development buddies that. <laughs> but of course, you also have an uh, amazing partner who is <clears throat> committed to doing this farm with you. That's and- right. That's right. So Lina and I have very um, complementary, um, complementary approaches to so uh, the 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 extreme end of this is that if it involves digging a hole, I'm always the one who digs the hole because you kind of groove on that. You said right. I, I love to dig, and if it involves a spreadsheet, Lina is always the one. Mm-hmm. Who do, but everything in between is really a mix mm-hmm. of the two. You're co-farming, right? Yeah, right. So That's every so, cool. so we. We do every the deliveries and the design and the picking and the planning and the planting are really all a mix. But as you get closer yeah. to hole digging, it's, <laughs> it's more me. Yeah. And as you get closer to spreadsheets, it's more Lina. Well, um, on the you do weddings, and I want to talk a little bit about the farmer florist part of Wrightfield Farm. Yeah. How how did that all evolve? Was it after you started doing more floral design? You're like, hey, I, I like this, and I, I know our flowers are great quality. So. You know, the first weddings that we did were like all but a like demand mm-hmm. from somebody who knew our flowers mm-hmm. and said, you just you have to do this for wow. me. You have to. You so, need to. So someone who had bought your flowers but then needed a wedding package. Yeah, oh. yeah. and really small stuff. Uh-huh. And, you know, a couple of those were, I think I talked to you a little bit about before, were quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah. So you just dove in then. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I had already by that point been taking some, I took some online classes, mm-hmm. and I had taken some classes at Anne Arundel Community College, mm-hmm. who has a really neat program 
uh, I think you met some, yeah, of, the met people some from, of the people there. That's yeah. Right. Just and recently. They, yeah. And they, they have a really neat program. And I took some just traditional floral design classes. Just how were, to do a boutonniere, how yeah. to do a corsage, how yeah. to do a bridal book. Yeah. Yeah. So the personal flowers, for sure you do. Yeah. And are you branching out beyond that? So we do personal flowers. We do all the bouquets, all the boutonnieres, mm-hmm. all the corsages or wrist corsages. I, I did take a class on body flowers, mm. but it won't be a thing that we... We're not real interested in doing like installations. Mm-hmm. Um, we There are lots of really incredible um, full service florists around here that we really love and yeah. would love to send people to. Yeah. And if that's what somebody's looking for, if you're looking for somebody to, to decorate the venue. Yeah. Um, but we do do centerpieces okay. and bud bases for the, for most of the weddings okay. that we, that we work on. And you were describing this, the package is pretty much includes, uh, your delivery, but you don't go do installations. That's right. Yeah, they, That's they right. They kind of know where your line is. And it's a hundred percent a la carte. Okay. So there's no, it's not a fixed price bid. If you, if you want an extra boutonniere, then you know it's $12. Right, and right. And we can happily do that for you. Right. So if you want do you have a minimum? Centerpiece. We don't. In yeah. fact... I didn't mean to cut you off, sorry. No, no, not at all. It, in fact, uh, I know of uh, I know of a couple of situations where somebody has just taken one of our $40 Sunday deliveries and used that as a... As a wedding bouquet. As a wedding bouquet. Oh, neat. <laughs> right? That's it's, great. Uh, Wow. Well, do you feel like um, of these three channels are going to keep kind of you're going to keep fine tuning and, you know, grocery weddings and then the Sunday deliveries? Is that sort of a good balance for you or do you have something else you're eyeing? I think it is one more place where I think we will expand is probably restaurants. Oh, neat. So I think because you're organic. Yeah. So that's kind of a nice, we use organic practices. We do. But I, I also, I think just for the table, yeah. like table arrangements for the, for the flowers, um, the the restaurant market is a kind of a nice in between. So we have our our Thursday delivery, we have our Sunday delivery, and if we could do a Monday or Tuesday for restaurants for mm-hmm. the week, mm-hmm. bud bases, or maybe it could just be table. all any business then. Yeah, like it could be a salon or a lawyer's yeah. office or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be cool because you're still in your own community, which I That's know right. is super important to you. That's right. I I love hearing what other people do, and I we have spent you know five years kind of honing in on what we do by listening to your podcast and by reading books watching all, people on youtube watching yeah. people on youtube yeah. following people on instagram yeah. you know we've really benefited from so many so our 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 process um you've you've been out in the field so we have three foot wide beds mm-hmm. and the beds are separated by three foot wide grass pads and the process kind of starts with tilling a three foot wide bed first and then the very first year, we do a soil test. We get it back, and it tells us that our soil is sandy and acidic. And you would mention that earlier. I mean, is that sort of because you're near the river and that? Kind it of, is partly and, that. It's yeah. partly there was pine forest here for a part of the time. Okay. It's partly because tobacco was grown. Right. It's partly just the soil conditions of. So do um, you, even though you kind of know that that's generally the type of soil, you're still testing. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. interesting. So we do two kinds of soil tests. We have the yearly one that we send off to the lab, but then we do local. We can test the acidity of the soil here. In, in on site. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so there's there's actually a third mechanism that we use to test the acidity of the soil, which is that we've learned that there are certain weeds that only grow in acidic soil. So sheep sorrel is a mm. great example. Mm-hmm. When we've got a bed and it's just 
deep in sheep sorrel, we know that it needs lime. Yeah. And, and then that'll the correct soil. it a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So you really are intimate with this soil. You're, you're yeah. aware of what, yeah. what it's giving you. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the two patches of zinnias that I was showing you mm-hmm. earlier, one of them was really thriving mm-hmm. and one of them was not. Mm-hmm. That's another example of a place where probably the soil was still too acidic. Mm-hmm. We had just amended it, but we hadn't done a cover crop in that mm-hmm. particular bed this year. So you, I got you off track. You're, you, you prep the, you prep the three foot wide path. That's you right. Test the soil, and then what's the next step? Plant a cover crop. Okay. If it's winter, it's winter rye. If it's summer, it's usually buckwheat. Okay. And the cover crop does two things. One is it actually amends the soil, so it fixes nitrogen and it adds organic matter. Um, but it also has it actually those those roots from those plants will go down and actually take over some of the seeds that are in the seed bank. They'll, it'll mm-hmm. actually. The it weed suppresses seeds. weeds, yeah. and it actually uh, eliminates some of the oh, seed banks wow. of, of the weeds. So it's, it's saving you some backbreaking work. Yeah. yeah. So then that gets mowed and mulched, and that goes back into the soil, and it gets tilled again. And then at this point, typically, we'll amend the soil one more time with compost. Okay. Compost or manure. Yeah, you have lots of cow manure here, right? That's right. We have a family milk cow. Okay. So she and her calf are providing a substantial amount of the of the manure of the manure, but we also purchase compost from mm-hmm. a farm, mm-hmm. and so the soil is amended. And ideally, what what the situation is is at this point, the soil has very high organic matter and very high fertility. Mm-hmm. So in the back, we haven't gone back and looked at my seed starting operation yet. Right, but I was wondering about that. We do soil blocks, mm-hmm. and the soil blocks. The, ideally, what we plant into the prepped bed. As soon as, so we we till it, and then ideally that same day or the next day, we plant a healthy plant. Popping it right in. Popping it right in. And now it's three or four, maybe even five weeks ahead of all the weeds. Mm -hmm. You also arrange them very densely, don't you? That's right. Is it always five, uh, or does it depend on? It depends on the plant. So the tuberose, those gigantic tuberose, those were three across. Okay. Uh, the the sunflowers are usually five across. Mm-hmm. We might even squeeze six in if we want them to be really a little Compact, bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. The zinnias are usually three or four, okay. depending on the on the health of the plant. The consistency visually, though, of that three foot wide. Yeah. What bad alternating with the three foot wide path is nice. And then you said your father in law is your chief mower. That's right. Yeah, so, that's handy. Right. So he lives here with us, uh-huh. and he does just keeps the place looking like a park. Which is really amazing. <laughs> and he can just go down between those rows, That's no right. problem. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so the header row for the drip irrigation is is buried, so you can go over it without worrying about oh, hitting it with cool. the mower. So you put you pop in your soil blocks. That's right. You've got the you've got the kind of jump start on the weeds. That's right. And then but, we lay out drip irrigation. Okay. Um, and then ideally at that point, if it's a summer flower, we actually don't weed it. Yeah. So you you That's saw very refreshing. Yeah, you saw that there there are weeds growing, mm-hmm. but the plants are far ahead of them, and mm-hmm. they're densely planted. I will pull out that spiky amaranth mm-hmm. that I showed you. Yeah. I'll pull that one out if it's growing. Kind of um, like just you're not spending a whole day weeding. It's just if you see it, you grab it. Right. So that's very efficient. Right. Too. Yeah. And then for the other side, sort of the perennials, the main thing that we do for the weed suppression around the plants is just mulch. We're, we're sort of top dressing it with hardwood mulch. Mm-hmm. Um, are you making then, that on on site or are you buying that in? We're usually buying it okay. in, though we do a little bit of each. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, it, it turns out to be easy to get 
uh, tree services to dump wood chips. And just bring, bring, oh, so you're not really paying for it necessarily. Yeah. 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 Your uh, perennials uh, have an interesting kind of role on this property. We walked around the perimeter where all your shade-loving perennials yeah. are. It's deceptive how many plants are here because it's you really look and you go, oh, that's just a nice little deciduous forest. And then there's hundreds of hellebores. <laughs> that's right. There. It's amazing. That's right. That's right. And, the, and they prefer that here mm. in Maryland. They I grow bet. best in the, in the edge. Yeah. Um, and so we have a lot of edges. We have a lot of edges. We have a lot of edges. So they go deep into the forest. Are they irrigated or? No. Okay. So that's no, another. They're, they're drought tolerant. They're deer resistant. They're prolific. They love labor saving. Then the you're not. trees mostly mulch them for us. Oh wow! <laughs> there, that is another perennial then that is going to just get better and better yeah, for you. Yeah. yeah, you were saying your wedding clients were really lucky. Oh, this they spring. love it, and it's really quite a long harvest window too. It's a so the hellebores. We'll, we'll get our earliest ones in February, and we'll cut them from February to March to April, and all the way into the beginning of May. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of your earliest crops on the farm, right? That's right. And then Narcissus is the other? That's right. Yeah. That's right. The heirloom Narcissus, the hellebores are kind of our two early ones. Lilacs are right after that. There's a few of our cool flowers. Mm-hmm. So another, we, we plant, the last thing I'll say about the, the process is we tend to plant in kind of five waves of seeds. Oh, that's really helpful to think about. Yeah. Right. So the first thing we plant are the cool flowers from Lisa Mason Ziegler's mm-hmm. book that... Um, and that's an interesting one because we love the technique. Is that like November or October? October, or? November. Oh, okay. And those, uh, maybe as early as September for okay. some of them, those are biennials, delicate perennials, and annuals that can overwinter. It's different in every place. That's one of the things that I wish I'd known before I tried for three years. Dove in. To, <laughs> well, I tried for three years to overwinter calendula here, and it just wasn't going to happen. Mm. It, it's too, too delicate for okay. here. Okay. She's like three hours south of us, right. and it does fine. Right. So it's different here than it is there, but it... You're constantly trialing. We've kind of localized it. So that's our first planting is in the fall, and that's for the earliest spring flowers. And then we plant the long-season annuals. We start usually in the beginning of February, usually February 1st or 2nd. And then we plant the spring delicates, which are mostly a succession planting of the ones that we planted in the fall, so bachelor's buttons mm-hmm. and... Um, the agristema and feverfew and uh, also some spring delicates that we can't overwinter like stock some additional snapdragons okay. that sort of that sort of stuff they get planted in the spring and then we get a by the time April's coming around we start on the summer flowers some of which are succession planted as well but like zinnias, cosmos um, celosia, gombrena mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, those all sort of get started in April and May and by the time we're planting out our last frost date here is in the middle of May. Oh, okay. Um, but we'll sometimes sneak out ahead and get some things in the ground. You're, you, when you said you're planting in February, then you're planting indoors. That's right. Yeah. This is yeah. all indoors. Yeah, so okay. So we, we plant the vast majority of our flowers indoors. I think really cosmos and sunflowers are the only two things that we direct routinely so. direct so. Okay, okay. I see. And so we've got, that's, April's your fourth time of planting. Right. And then when's your last one? Is right now. Okay. Which is biennials. Oh, okay. So companion and foxglove and some of the, like, we treat uh, echinacea sort of as a biennial, uh-huh. even though it, it sort of perennializes. Yeah. But we start some new ones in the middle of the summer each year. 
When you said you plant winter cover crop, where when does that happen, and when would you plow that in and have that field ready? So the winter rye does not winter kill, so that actually stays green all winter, oh, okay. which is also gives us a little hope and optimism <laughs> just to look out at yeah. it. Because it is wi- what is your zone? It's zone six B. Okay, um, that's kind of more mild than I would have thought. Yeah, it. And it really depends. I mean, it'll vary here. We'll have those years where it gets down below zero for a week. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have those years where it never gets below 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about that with regard to your eucalyptus. That's right. Yeah. So last year, we had overwintered eucalyptus, which was just hugely prolific. Yeah. And then you had these long stems. That's right. right. And, and this year, we had to start from scratch. Heartbreaking. It is. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. But it's it's the it's the wonderful heartbreak of being business partner with the wind with yeah. the weather. Yeah, you don't get to call those shots on that. That's right. Um, so when you plant that winter rye, and then when when it's green all winter, so that's visually pretty. But then when are you plowing it under? So ideally, with winter rye, you do it when it looks its most beautiful. Okay. You wait until it has a seed head. You wait until it's really. But you don't let it like actually go to seed. Right. You cut it down, mulch it, till it in. That's generally going to be in the spring. Okay. And then buckwheat, which we're going to be planting in the in the beds that we just took out from right. the cool flowers, mm-hmm. that that gets planted like now. Okay. And then that will that stay until you plant your cool cool crops. That's in the right. Fall? Okay. That's okay. right. I think I've got that. That's right. Wow. That's that's a wonderful uh, kind of way to walk people through the year. I might need to have you make a calendar so I can. Oh see. yeah, for sure. I know it. It does apply differently to every region, but it's it. It's the way you guys think. It does. And and we've incorporated a lot of help from other people who have thought about, you know, it, there, there are lots of people who are so generous online and in person, mm-hmm. um, which may actually make a, a good pivot into talking yeah. about the, yeah. the, the association. Well, um, I've known of the, it's the Maryland Cut Flower Growers Association, is that That's what it's right. called? That's right. I've known of this group, um, you know, for a number of years, but in recently, like, it, it, there was a grant grant given for you That's to right. do a website. And, That's right. So tell me a little bit about the new chapter of yeah. that organization. So the Maryland Cut Flower Growers Association is an interest group of flower farmers in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. I and love that. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't forced you to change yeah. the name yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, interestingly, the, the grant that you were talking about mm. came from the Maryland Department of Agriculture. Oh, that's right. That's right. Right. And so it meant that it had to be called Maryland Grown sure. Flowers, and it features the Maryland growers. But the, but the association has, has, for most of three decades, been a really collaborative group from all the way down from as far as... Uh, uh, like Bob Wallen yeah. and, and Andrea Gagnon, yeah. our, our our growers who have been with the association for a long time. You said sort of Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay Chesapeake region. Chesapeake Bay, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, there's been a winter meeting traditionally uh, that people would gather at for a long, long time, right? That's right. Okay. So there's generally three winter meetings. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's I think I, I had... I ha- we talked about this on the podcast a couple years ago. Yeah, okay. yeah, and it's a great time. We it's a um, we bring sort of what our questions are for other growers. Actually, we swap plants. Um, I didn't point it out when we were in the field, but the quince. Mm, I saw the quince. Yeah, right. So the quince came from one of the winter meetings. Mm. Rick Yuva from Seaberry Farm. Oh, okay. Brought extra ones that he had. He grows at a bigger scale He's, than we do. Yeah, yeah. They do a lot of woodies, right? That's right. Yeah, how That's cool right. Is that? And he brought some quince. Uh, the um, 
the pussy willow mm-hmm. was also from all of the willow actually was from another other growers at the at the winter meetings yeah who just had them generous extras. people we do a we do a seed swap a seed and seed and plant swap mm-hmm. in the so the winter meetings make take place because that's when farmers can actually get off the farm and go that's gather right. and it's, is there is it sort of like december january february or something? usually so i think this year it'll be november january february okay. is and it it's generally that kind of a rhythm though okay so and now you're the treasurer that's right so, so i've got officers the, and everything right I, it's a big job of being the treasurer <laughs> I, as i was sharing with you in the in the uh <laughs> on our drive <laughs> on our drive the being the treasurer of the maryland cut flower growers association is is a big job yeah. In which I keep track of an envelope of around $100 of petty cash. <laughs> we shouldn't tell you. Yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. That's so funny. But I mean, it's... And I make yeah. sure that there are cookies oh, okay. at the winter because meetings. Because you bake them yourself. Well, there's some of each, mm. right? So we that's partly what the petty cash is for, oh, too. Oh, I see. Good. All right. right. So you're not right. having to feed everybody right. personally. Um, but the the... It seems like things are changing a little bit with the website. Yeah. It's a little bit more outreach to florists and that sort of thing, right? That's right. And I would say that the association has been very much grassroots, Mm -hmm. a real grassroots organization. Mm -hmm. So there are no paid paid positions in in the association. And the like the florist event that we did was all organized by mostly by the growers who are selling directly to florists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, tell me about that cuz I, I that was in the March, right? That's right. And that's this right. is like a perfect model that anybody could copy. It was and, really and wonderful. Yeah. So the previous board uh, arranged this. This was before I was the 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 treasurer. Um, and I the um, previous board had put together an event which invited florists to come and talk to growers just in an open open dialogue mm, it was smart. in march so we didn't have a lot of product yeah. it wasn't it was really a conversation about practice and it was very very well attended excellent um, by, a, by both parties that's right yeah, that's right lots of growers and lots of florists and we we sort of get to be there as both so we get to talk to right. You have two hats, right? And there's probably a few other farmer florists in the there are, world too. There right? are, and it's actually fairly common, even for the the farmers who um, aren't necessarily selling retail like we are, mm-hmm. to buy from each other in situations where they like either they have a customer who wants something specific or to yeah. send customers to each other. Just augment what you've got on the farm. Yeah. Wow. That's neat. Well, uh, Kelly Shore of Petals by the Shore, who I've spent a lot of time with this yeah. week especially, was on a panel. That's and she right. said it was really fabulous for her to be able to talk about if she, because she desires greatly to work with local That's farms. Right. How can we make this work? That's right. So there are probably a lot of lessons learned on that. There are. Yeah. And it's really, she's an amazing, and I would say... The, there, you know, there have been waves of, I, I would say, 20 years ago, the industry was such that if a farmer wanted to sell flowers, it really had to be direct. Okay. It had to be at a farmer's market. Oh, okay. Right? Just yeah. had to. Um, and really, in the last 10 years, then there were a number of, there were, well, two particular local florists who made a commitment to, so, mm-hmm. so um, Ellen Frost of mm-hmm. Local Color Flowers. Mm-hmm. And um, Little Acre in D.C. Mm-hmm. is another one mm-hmm. who sort of exclusively purchased. They articulated that that was their right. Color. That's yeah. that's a sort of local, local only um, designs. But then increasingly since then, the the tents the tent is getting bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. and that's really um, 
that's the thing I'm personally passionate about, mm-hmm. both in farming and in flowers. Yeah. We need a bigger tent. Yeah. In, in Maryland, the main thing that's holding us back from sort of filling a bigger place in the market mm. is production. It's right. not having enough. So it's not, the demand is there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And there's no, no difficulty sort of getting to the point where, where the, uh, the florist will buy the flowers. Right. But it's, it's what is the production level. So the awareness is definitely on the rise. It's really on the rise. And it's really thank to, thanks to you and people like you yeah. who have been sort of, sort of preaching this. But having a meeting like that is also uh, opening the door and making... Maybe there were probably a lot of florists there who hadn't haven't bought from that's local right. farmers. Right? That's right. That's right. They're just kind of putting their toe in the water. That's right. And the great thing about it is that I think it's an open and welcoming community, and people who are trying to um, really extend an olive branch. It would be real easy in an industry like flower farming mm-hmm. that has been has gone from being large and dominant to uh, really sh- shadow of its former self yeah. in this country, mm-hmm. it would be easy to get into the mindset of feeling s- sort of sad or angry. Yeah, about yeah. Defeated. Yeah, about yeah. defeated. And it's really been my experience of the growers in Maryland that it's it's not that way. It's optimistic right. and right. it's open. And right. It's, I t- we talked about this at the Soulflower Summit, that there's yes, there are obstacles for sure. Yeah. But there's more opportunities than obstacles if you take that attitude that's and right. if you are optimistic and you look for opportunity and clearly that's that's what you're doing that's and, right um you're actually doing it in a way we use the word retail you're choosing not to sell to wholesale and not to sell to florists because you see other channels that work for your family and your farm that's right but it's great that you can refer a florist to somebody who's a, right. a, a friend in this organization. That's right. So everybody wins. Yeah, it really is, and it's also it's a neat um, it's a neat it's neat to be a customer mm-hmm. of our friends mm-hmm. and a friend, and also um, to have you know farmers who are a trusted resource as well. Right. The association has uh, the one sort of special thing that it has is um, Chris Ween, who is a retired horticulture professor from Cornell joins the meetings and really chimes in on the mailing list and does um, provides his his expertise to the group wow. really on just a volunteer like basis. in-house advisor. But there are also, so Rick and Wenfei Yuva of Seabury Farm were students of his mm. at Cornell oh. and are also horticulture PhDs. Um, Rick wrote the book weeds of the northeast and is 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 literally he's he's a world-renowned expert wow. in this matter and we really benefit from yeah just just learning and even it 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 i mean it has been true in all of our learning about how to do this that people like jenny love or aaron benzikane or who do it online mm-hmm. have been have contributed to our mm-hmm. understanding of how to do it but mm-hmm. also like other nearby growers mm-hmm. who are willing to just share what they do and how they do it yeah, I mean, um, there is something about flower farming being hyper local. Yeah, every you know. Yeah, we still need our local community, even though there are these online national resources. Everything has to be. I mean, just like gardening, it, it has right. to be zone specific. That's right. And so 
that body of knowledge in your own backyard is probably the most valuable. That's and, right. Uh, and it sounds like you guys are just all share with each other. That's really right. Great. So the other That's board neat. members mm-hmm. for the Maryland Cut Flower Growers Association right now are... Um, Malene and Maggie, who you met. So that's Hidden Ridge Flowers and Herbs and M&M Plants. Yes, I got to see them both last week. Right. Yeah. And then Karen, Karen Salabuski from uh, Ladybrook Farm okay. is, the, is the fourth sort of rounding out the okay. board. How did uh, you guys all get elected? We got out of the room when the vote was, uh, it, when the nominations went through? It it, it, it was, we drew straws and yeah. flipped a coin. <laughs> and then, um, you know, it really is, in a community organization like this, it really is almost more of just a rotating Yeah. A rotating service, yeah. Um, but you are you are kind of adding new programming, and that's yeah. nice to have people step up and, and be part of that. Yeah, that's right. You're it, you're much more effective in this community as a single voice. That's right. Which I I think I've witnessed. So that's neat. That's right. Um, I really yeah, it was really fun to go to the f- event that Kelly did with uh, Maggie and um, actually there were four farms. That's at right. That event, That's that right. Event. I'll, I'll be talking about that in another podcast, but um, that it, it showed me the diversity and seeing two yeah. farms in Maryland while I'm here has been fabulous. Yeah. So I see you know they 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 have high tunnels and greenhouses and your your everything you do is in the field. So, That's right. Um, they both work. Yeah. That's do you right. have fireflies here? We do. Oh, good. If, I wish you were here for the evening because it's a we're at peak firefly right now. Oh my gosh. Fourth of July is sort oh, of the, I did get to see them at M M&M. and M. All up in the trees. So neat. That's cool. So I grew up out west and I did yeah. not no. experience fireflies no. before I was an adult. I know. I just said to someone, Well, they don't exist past west of the Mississippi. And she goes, Well, I'm from Missouri. They do oh, exist west oh, of the Mississippi. Oh, and I said, oh, okay. Oh. West of the Rockies, okay. then. <laughs> right. So, right. yeah, yeah, it's it's cool that your kids get to grow up with that because yeah. you didn't. And I, yeah. I think I know about them because my grandparents were from Indiana and Illinois. And That's we did, right. We did see them when we were That's kids. That's right. So, um, before we close, I wanted to just thank you publicly for um, bringing flowers to uh, support me at my talk that I'll give at AIFD tomorrow, um, showcasing uh, my whole point of my talk is about slow flowers and the local flower movement. And it's so gratifying to know I'm going to have Maryland flowers at that talk. It's so thank gratifying you. for us as well. And I want to thank especially Suzanne Monty from Red Chimney Farm here, very, very close to us in Bowie, who, who also provided some of the flowers for the, for, for the event. And I also wanted to say thank you for, that can be a hard gap to bridge sometimes yeah they've they've and i wanted to thank you publicly for bridging it because it is to the benefit of all of us who are growing flowers for the tent to get bigger and for that for that gap to sort of close up again we have witnessed it in the last five years it's amazing it the first time i gave a national talk in a trade organist at a trade show not not aifg but a, a trade show in the commercial floral industry in Miami in 2014, I had a colleague say, you know, you're going into enemy territory. Local flowers. <laughs> and of course I'm so naive. I'm like, well, of course they're going to love everything I say and, and believe in this, but they didn't, they kind of thought I was naive, but look at now, you know, yeah. five years later, it's a legitimate topic. And, yeah. um, it no longer can a florist say, well, I would buy local flowers, but they're not available. That That's right. I don't buy that. That's right. And the presence of Wrightfield Farm and the Maryland right. Flower Growers Association is like the 
antidote to that comment. So. That's right. You know, I also think, and I know we're running out of time, but I, I, I think it's very, I'm very passionate about it. It's very important to me that the mindset that anybody else who loves flowers is on the other side from me mm-hmm. is really a mistake. Right, right. There's right. got to be common common it, ground. There's at least the common ground of flowers. Yeah. Yeah. And if it if if we can't find common ground there, I mean, what what hope do any of us have? I've learned that and I'm I've been humbled because I was super strident in the beginning, you know, and now I just have a completely, you know, I've matured in my understanding that Everyone's trying to make a living. That's right. And everybody deserves to make a living the way they, they choose that's best for them. And um, maybe just supporting what I'm passionate about is going to encourage people who have that same approach, but hopefully not discourage other people, but maybe just raise their awareness. That's right. So. That's right. And it's an optimistic vision of the future. Right? <laughs> good. It's okay, a, good. Next time yeah. I come back, I'm going to get to see that the other field is that's more right. flowers. That's right. It's going to be yeah. all the annuals. That's the, <laughs> the, cows, the cows will be in one little corner. That's right. That's right. That's oh, right. thank you so much. This well, has been great. I think it's lunchtime. All so. right. All right. Good. We'll have you. photos uh, to share from Rightfield Farm that's on, right. on our show notes at DebraPrinzing.com and all your social places that's so right. people can find you. Okay. That's right. And we're at RightfieldFarm.com. Okay. And all our social places are at Rightfield Farm. Jeez, consistent branding. What a, what a concept. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Beginning in early August, I will be on the road quite a bit, continuing through October. I might be in your neck of the woods, so check out the event calendar at deborahprinzing.com and perhaps we can meet. There are a few Slow Flowers meetups you'll want to know about. On Sunday, August 12th, I'll be in St. Paul, Minnesota with the Twin Cities Flower Exchange. On Wednesday, August 15th, I'll be in Chicago at Larkspur Studio. And on September 11, in Kansas City, Missouri, I'll be at a meetup hosted by Andrea K. Grist Floral Art and Florasource KC. And at many other conferences, workshops, and botanical gardens in the next few months. So find the calendar link at deborahprinzing.com. I'd love to connect. I am grateful to all our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement as our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with the donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 338,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all our programs. They include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. 
find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. And special thanks to Stephen Yossi.